ladies, welcome back to another episode of Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser, and this week my guest is Amanda. She is a mental health and addiction coach who helps people come out of their addiction, integrate back into their life. As a former addict, Amanda understands the pain behind addiction and works to help her clients heal and regain their spark they had before their addiction started. She is passionate, loves to laugh, and believes in the power of love to cure anything. Everybody, please welcome Amanda. Hello, Payola. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy you're here. We've had a couple of technical issues <laughs> with this podcast and having you on, but I'm so glad that we finally are on here and talking. So tell us about your fearless female journey. Oh my goodness. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Wow. It's, it's been quite an incredible journey that, like I said, I was, I was an addict when I was very young. So it started at when I was a teenager, I was addicted to ecstasy. And that was based on like a trauma that I I had experienced when I was younger Mm. and coming out of that drug addiction. And the reason that I do what I do now is like, I didn't heal the root cause of the addiction in the first place. Mm -hmm. So what happened was I became a drug addict. I quit drugs because I knew ultimately, like, if I don't stop, I'm going to die. And logic just kicked in. And so I said, okay, let's stop. And then what happened is that transferred into a food addiction that transferred into, you know, a a people addiction, like chasing people, like not, I wouldn't say sex, but I definitely was like craving that intimacy. And I just became this like person that was addicted to everything. And it was this constant chasing of an emotion or running away from an emotion. And it took years, like probably about 10 years of that fight And then me finally coming out of it to say, okay, like, let's sit down and let's deal with the root and, you know, circa me here today. I, I actually, I got pregnant when I was 14. Mm. So I ended up having a late term abortion. So my, my mother actually had me when she was 16 and she gave me to my grandparents, her parents for, to, to raise me. Yeah. I was looking back now. I see. I see my grandmother really just wanted the best for me and she did the best she could with what she had, but I really struggled with emotionally connecting with her. Mm. So it was, you know, me having all of these emotions, you know, I didn't even meet my father till I was 14. I I had all these emotions. I didn't know how to connect with her. I'm going through puberty. She's going through menopause. And so I just searched for love anywhere I could find it. Yeah. You know, like not realizing that it, they were loving me, but just not in the way that I felt that I needed at the time. So, you know, I'm, I'm promiscuous. I'm, I'm having sex, I'm doing drugs, I'm smoking. And I actually, I used protection, but someone had poked holes in the condom. Gosh, really? <laughs> yeah. It was, it's, it's kind of crazy. Like I, you know, I was very, very safe, even though I was destructive, I was still kind of safe and someone poked holes in the condom and I got pregnant and I was so scared to tell my grandmother, right? Because it's like, here we go again. Like my mom was 16 and now I'm 14 and pregnant. Like, what is this? Like I was scared. And so I waited and I waited. And when I finally told her and, you know, we, we decided on an abortion by the time I got it, I was 16 weeks. Mm. Yeah. And it was, uh, you know, as a child, I had no idea what that meant, but as an adult, once I started to understand, like there was a lot of shame there was a lot of guilt, just shame around, you know, like I grew up in a, in a family where it was 
there was a lot of like, we didn't talk about sex. We didn't talk about periods. We didn't talk about anything. So if you did any of that, like it was kind of frowned upon and, and and it was just an old school thing, but it was a lot of unhealed pain. (laughs) You were with your grandmother. So she comes from a different generation. You definitely do not talk about those things at all. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you exactly like that would probably be your parents, right? Like your parents age. Yeah. My mom's about 75 something. I don't even know how old she is, but (laughs) yeah, but you don't talk about those things. I grew up in the same kind of environment. You don't talk about periods. You don't talk about sex. You don't talk about any of those things. Like even with my sisters who are only 10 years older than me, they wouldn't talk to me about those things. Even now it's an inappropriate conversation to talk about those things. But yeah, it's a completely different generation than, you know, what we're used to now. But were you already doing drugs before you started having sex? And like, did your addiction start until after the abortion? Like you weren't really addicted to drugs. You were just like using them as a, uh, as a social thing. And then once you went through the abortion, it was the emotions that made you more addicted to the drugs because you were trying to escape. Is that what I'm? That's exactly it. Yeah. I was like a a bloated gut. Mm. So all of that, it was the perfect storm, right? The recipe, all the ingredients for the recipe of disaster was there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm just falling into my peer group because that's where I felt like I belonged and amplified with the emotional disconnect. So, so yeah, I was more like just experimenting Mm -hmm. and you know, unfortunately, because of the, my grandmother felt that for her to love me and keep me safe, she had to control me. Mm. That was her version, her model of the world in terms of being a parent was control. And at the time, I mean, you've been a teenager, right? Like, you know, when someone's trying to control you, you, you do the opposite of whatever it is you're told, right? It's just like, don't try to control me. So I think it was a mixture of that, but yeah, then the trauma of the abortion as well. It's also because your mom got pregnant at the age of 16. So your grandmother was trying to prevent the same event happening. Exactly. Yes. So as much as she tried to prevent it and control it, it actually happened again. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, that's, it's a, yeah, it's a perfect storm of why everything happened for you at that moment. And I can see when you're completely out of alignment in your mind and in your heart, you reach for anything to try to make that feeling go away. And so drugs, like you said, and then if it wasn't drugs, it was food. And if it wasn't food, it was people. If it wasn't people, you know, we're trying so hard to make ourselves get back into that feeling of being completely in aligned with our soul that will reach for anything. And it's like, I like that you said earlier, like I never took care of the root problem, which was Mm -hmm. if we all just stopped and said, okay, what, what is the root problem that's causing me to feel this anxiety, this stress, this frustration, this anger, this pain, Mm -hmm. then we can eliminate years and years of more anger, more frustration and more pain. Right. Yeah, no, that's that is beautifully put. That's exactly it. Right. And I feel like at the core of it, we're all just wanting to feel worthy of love. And we're all just wanting to connect and feel like we matter. And, you know, along the way, we we have traumas and and things that happen to us that disconnect us from that. And, and we become fearful. And so, you know, for various reasons, we all feel that fear of not being enough and not feeling loved. And really at the core, that's what I felt. Like I felt like I truly wasn't worthy because I believed that my mother didn't, you know, I had the stories, right. That my mother didn't want me. My father didn't want me. My grandparents are forced to raise me and I'm a burden on everyone. So, you know, 
you project that out into the world. Yeah. And the energy that you place in that room, everyone feels it. And so they react to that energy. You know, when you're feeling like you're unwanted, unworthy, unlovable, then everyone reacts in the room to that energy that you're emitting out. So I can totally understand your grandparents didn't not love you or didn't not want you. If they didn't want you, they wouldn't have accepted you in the house. Correct. Um, Mom, she was 16. If you think about like yourself, when you were 16, you, you really don't have the capacity to really take care of your child, let alone take care of yourself. So it's like all this like forgiveness and grace that needs to be happening. But when you don't have the tools or the language on how to express all of these things, you know, either your grandmother or your mother, or even you, then there is no healing happening. And so everyone's just like in this kind of like live wire, you know, like that feeling of like, there's this live wire. And if you touch it, you're going to zap. So nobody wants to go there. So there's other ways to kind of calm that live wire down and you chose drugs. And I guess your drug of choice was ecstasy. So let's talk about the first time who gave it to you? How old were you? And what was your initial reaction to it? Oh, wow. Well, I still remember his, his name was Rory. And uh, drug, no, <laughs> everyone knows by now, like drug dealers, they act like they're your friends, right? Because they want to give you <laughs> their product. And they always give you the product for free the first time. So I was getting on the bus. It was grade 10. So I think I was 16. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had a friendship or an acquaintanceship. And he was like, hey, Amanda, like, you want to try this new thing? It's so great. It's called ecstasy. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, it'll make you feel really good and warm and happy and all this stuff, you know, the love drug kind of thing. I was like, sure. And he gave it to me. Here's two. This is how you take it. This is how long it'll last. And and I went home that day from school and just locked myself in my room. He was the same age as you? I think he was in grade 12. Oh, okay. Yeah. So a couple of years older, but I, I hung out with like everyone. Like I, I didn't really have a group. I just kind of was one of those people that would be friends with everybody because I I liked everybody, but um, yeah. And I just took it. And and again, it, it, it sparked that love feeling Mm. that I felt I was missing. So in, and it's all that shame and all that pain and, and biologically what was happening, right? Like, cause the hormones, like, and I, I, like, I'd be sitting, I remember sitting in high school in class after my abortion and like, I was lactating. Oh my gosh. I didn't know what was happening. And a girl, I remember the girl sitting across from me, ironically in home ec, <laughs> right? Like I'm in, I'm learning how to take care of babies and cook and all this stuff. We had those babies you had to take home for three days that cry. Really? While I'm going through, I had a baby (laughs) and like the girl in class was like, your shirt's wet. Like, but I had no idea. Like I didn't know anything. So anyways, yeah, sorry. I I tend to go off and then I I try to circle back, but so (laughs) I feel like that's the beautiful mind. Like we're, we're just those beautiful minds where we're like, but anyway, so it, it basically gave me that warmth that I was searching for and it didn't, I was hooked. Mm-hmm. I was completely hooked. And it was, uh, it was about two years and it was a nightmare. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was a nightmare. It was just this slow decline. It was, it felt slow, but it was also fast. You know, like I went from maybe every weekend doing like a little bit to every single day. I absolutely had to have it. Yeah. Did you ever um, like go from that drug to something else? 
Oh, 100%. Yeah. Because you can't, this is the thing, right? And when people say, oh, you're addicted to this drug. And like in my environment, I guess you could say a lot of people ask like, what's your doc? What's your drug of choice? And it's like, it's really irrelevant what your drug of choice is. Like your drug of choice is escaping. Your drug of choice is running towards something that you're trying to feel like it's irrelevant because I had ecstasy, but when ecstasy ran out, I went to Coke. I went to crack. I went to mushrooms. I went to whatever it is that I could get high off of. The reality of it is, is you're trying to escape the feeling that you've never been taught how to process. Yes. You know, and it goes back to, you know, our teachers, I I say our teachers, because we don't have a choice of who's raising us. Mm. Um, A lot of the times, yeah, if you're lucky, you get both your parents. If you're not lucky, you get one parent. If you're even, you know, you get your grandma, your grandpa, your aunts, your uncles, your sisters, your brother. Like for me, like I, even though I had both of my parents and they never divorced, my dad was an alcoholic workaholic who was never home. And Mm. my mother was hardly ever home. She was always escaping, leaving. And the people that raised me were my, my sisters and my brother, you know, and, and they were 18. Like I'm learning to be an adult from an 18 year old who's barely learning how to be an adult. And so these are our teachers and this is our environment from zero to seven. And if the people that are raising us, they don't have the tools on how to express their feelings or how to process emotions, because we're all going to have different emotions growing up. Mm-hmm. We're going to have anger we're going to have fear, we're going to have hatred, we're going to have love, we're going to have all these different emotions. But if we don't know how to process them, or if something happens to us, and we have all these emotions, and we stuff them down, we don't speak about them, and we just ignore them, then they're eventually going to be make you feel like you're completely out of alignment, which for me, I describe out of alignment Just think about it as just crazy anxiety, stress, uh, feeling like you're walking on eggshells, that feeling that something's weighing deeply on your heart. Those are all the feelings of being completely out of alignment. And anyone, when you're feeling that, you want it to go away. So you reach for the alcohol, you reach for the drugs, you reach for like codependent people. You're, You're just constantly wanting someone to be around you because being alone with your thoughts and your feelings is too much. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that's just it, right? Like your experience is such is so subjective. Like it's all up, it's all based on your perception of your reality. So it's, you know, you and I can have, we could be raised by the same people, like even in the same household, right? You've got siblings that are raised by the same people, let's say they're alcoholics. And one goes off to be, you know, a doctor and never drinks and the other one's an alcoholic. Yeah, and yet they've been they've had that shared experience, but it's all in how they perceive that experience, and and that's why it is so pivotal to really look within and really be be objective and be open and vulnerable. And it's it, it's not a you thing, right? Like I blamed myself, and I was angry, and I blamed other people. I blamed my mom. I blamed my grandmother. I was angry at everyone for so long. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I was at everyone for so long. (laughs) Yeah. And like you said, it weighs on you. Right. And then eventually you just have to like this beautiful thing happens where you take accountability for your life. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened to me ultimately. And, and a lot of that was meeting my dad and meeting my stepmom, you know, Kara, right. Kara McCarran. She's my stepmom and, and meeting her and then getting to honestly getting to experience unconditional love for the first time in my life. Yeah. And, and getting to see what, what a mother was, one, started to heal my mother wound in that way. 
And then furthermore, as I grew and I saw all of the mistakes I made, all the people I hurt, all the things I had done, especially in my addiction, I looked at my mom and I said, wow, what a beautiful gift that woman gave me. She made the ultimate sacrifice to walk away from her child, putting me in the arms of people whom she thought would do a better job than her. How beautiful is that? And then I gave her so much love and I give her so much grace because like you said, she was a kid. And all she wanted was to be a kid. And how can I fault her for that? Exactly. Total understanding of the person that you came from. And the like, if you stop and analyze, because there's a lot of people who are listening to this podcast right now that have a lot of issues with either their mom or their dad. And it, it really does stem from like this giant or the person that brought you up, whether it was your grandmother, your grandfather, your uncle, your aunt, your sisters, or your brother, you have this like deep hatred for them because they didn't do the best job or they didn't give you everything you wanted. But there has to come, like Amanda said, a point in your life where you finally take responsibility and own who you are. You know, because when you're a child, you really don't have any choices. You you have to do with what the adults tell you to do. But when you get older and now you're in your 20s and your 30s, you have to take full responsibility. You can't spend the rest of your life blaming and shaming. Because like Amanda said, I did the same thing. I spent 20 years of my life blaming my mother for all the things that she did did and didn't do to me and you know getting angry at my father for being an alcoholic and and you know dying early before he could even walk me down the aisle but i mean how much energy could i i wasted right how much energy did we both waste spending all those years doing that right exactly yeah you uh you hit the nail on the head and i i feel you with my grandfather, the the man who raised me, he passed, it's been eight years now and he got cancer. So it was kind of a slow burn, right? So I got the opportunity to spend time with him and say goodbye and everything. And I feel like once you face death, once you, once you experience loss, permanent loss, something shifts within you and you just say, you know what? (sighs) It's not worth holding on to whatever anger I have. And I want to love on people. Because you rev- you never truly know when's the last time you're going to see that person. And it's so good to just get everything out of your heart. And, you know, yeah, your parents, we're all just people. Like we, we have no idea. Let's be real. We have no idea what we're doing. We're just kind of feeling it out as we go. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's like a perfect explanation of life. No one knows what they're doing. (laughs) I think we know there's a cosmic joke where life shows you, Hey, you don't really know it all. Right. Right. Yeah. The, the ultimate humbling experience is, which is life. I feel (laughs) it's just this ultimate humbling experience. But yeah, like once you, once you look at your life objectively, and, and this is where I read this book, it's called the untethered soul by Michael Singer. Oh my God, it's one of my favorite books. Is That's it? Oh yeah. Favorite books. It's like ultimate top five. I've read so many books, but when I, I, and I keep a list of my book recommendations and I keep that one at like the top five, it's everyone should read in their lifetime. Thank you. Yes, I totally, yes. So you, you know, exactly. I don't even need to say, but I will just for the listeners, but when he talks about the roommate for one, right? So your brain and, and how you're not your thoughts and then how you can observe your thoughts and then you choose which thoughts to attach to saved my life. That's when I really shifted. Cause I was like, Oh, I'm not a prisoner of my own mind. I'm not a prisoner of my own thoughts. Just because I think something doesn't make it true. 
And then you have this ability to be like, oh, and it's almost like you're going shopping, right? You're at the grocery store with your little cart and the cart's your brain or, or whatever. And you can just pick off the shelf, whatever thoughts you want to attach to. And you're going to like, you know what? I'm going to work with this because That's- it's what I choose and decide. And every thought creates an emotion in your body. Mm-hmm. So if you pick up the thought of I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. Nobody loves me. That's why she gave me up or whatever. Then what the, the emotion that it creates in your body is anxiety and stress and panic. And so then what do you do? You have an action and the action is usually to reach out for something that's going to sedate that feeling. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really does all boil down to what you're thinking about yourself. And I love that you said, I have the power to not be a prisoner of my own thoughts. I mean, that is so powerful because once you realize that your thoughts are so critical to how you are living in this reality called life, and you change your thoughts from negative to positive, your entire reality will change. Absolutely. This episode is sponsored by CoachSnap. Are you looking for an all-in-one platform to help you build your coaching business? Then you need CoachSnap. It allows you to schedule appointments, collect payments, train, and support all of your clients' needs. Health, fitness, hockey, football, or even life coaches can use CoachSnap. It's the business platform that will help you be the best coach you can be. So tell us about how you came to this moment of, I'm not going to do drugs anymore. Like what was your aha moment? Well, I mean, the drugs was more of a logical decision because I, I did have a few moments where I got close to overdosing. And then what happened and what happens when you take a lot of hard drugs at the, at the same time for a long period of time is you can actually experience what's called a drug-induced psychosis. So some people hear voices, some people have hallucinations. I had hallucinations. So I hallucinated when I was high And some people see fluffy bunnies and all these like fun unicorns and stuff. And they go on these cool trips, they call them. Um, But I was seeing like, and I don't want to be overly graphic, but like, you know, men hanging from trees with bleeding eyes and like dead babies. I wonder why. And just like all of these, it was just like the most darkest part of my subconscious, maybe, I don't know, Mm -hmm. that I was seeing in real time. And I started hallucinating when I was sober. Oh my gosh. Yes. So that, that was a breaking point for me mentally where I thought I was actually going insane. And so I remember calling a friend and saying, what's happening to me? And he said, he was way ahead of me in his drug years. He had already stopped. And he's like, Amanda, this will, this will be permanent. You're doing permanent damage to your brain. And, and this will happen with the amount of drugs you're using at the, at the capacity that you're using them. And I, it scared me. Paola, like it just scared me. I thought I'm going to die. So, cause if I don't die naturally, I'm not going to want to live the way that I'm living right now. So that was the, the drugs. That was the decision. It was just pure logic and fear, but then, you know, and, and I smoked for seven years. And then again, the food addiction, I put on 25 pounds and I was overweight and I felt gross, but like not because of the weight, right. It's not, it's just what the weight represents. Yeah, absolutely. And it represented me not caring about myself, not loving myself. Mm-hmm. So I want to be clear there. Like, it's not, if you're overweight, you should be unhappy. It's not like that. It's just, to me, I knew what the weight represented and it just, it just made me feel bad. And, and so, yeah, so with the drugs, it was logic, but I just got tired of living on the hamster wheel of my own BS. <laughs> I don't know how else to say, but you know what I mean? Like, Oh, I totally know what you mean. You get to this point where you're just like, am I on Groundhog's Day? 
Yeah. You know, and just doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results, expecting to wake up one day, be happy and feel like alive. And you're not, you're just feeling like, you know, just a, a dead soul is what I, I can only imagine, you know, what you were going through. Um, but man, yeah, that would scare the crap out of me to see those things, <laughs> even in a movie. I mean, just as you described it, I, I pictured it and I was like, I would be like freaking out. Yeah, it was a terrifying experience. But and I think part of it, too, and then you go through with the, the withdrawals as well, was very powerful for me mm. to be like, I never want to experience this again. So it really just kind of that scared straight kind of mentality. But or did you go to like a facility? No, on my own. So I, I started to detox by myself. And then my mom, actually, she was, I called her, she was living in Alberta. And I said, I need help. This is the situation. Can I come there? And so I went there and I lived there for like eight months. Yeah. Cause she had been through it. She had, she was addicted to cocaine for quite some time just after I was born. So she had been through it. She knew what it was like, and she was there to support me. And isn't that beautiful, right? So, but yeah, like really it's a culmination of things, but I just wanted to be better. And I remember getting a job at, at good life. I was, uh, I got a job at the front desk at a gym Mm -hmm. like nine years ago. And then, you know, I got a personal trainer. I got a coach, Mm -hmm. right. I got someone who was ahead of me who had done the stuff in, in life that was willing to help. And then through then through that experience, excuse me, I became a personal trainer. So I was a personal trainer for six years then I became like a, a nutrition coach. Then I became an entrepreneur. And now actually I work with women as a food addiction coach. So I've kind of, you know, narrowed down that niche where I help women overcome their food addiction. So oh, it's kind of cool. Seriously, you have such an incredible journey and it's, and it's not just what, you know, singular to your experience. There's a lot of people out there with similar stories and they don't know like where to begin, you know, how to begin this. Oh my gosh, it's hailing outside right now. Ah, is that what that is? This is this is new for California. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, you're in California very often here, but that's uh, <laughs> incredible. But um, I just wanted to say, as we wrap up this episode, what is your nugget of wisdom for women who are listening, who are are either on the same journey or in the beginning of this kind of journey? What would you say to them? Honestly, do not be afraid to be vulnerable. Like I originally I was going to go with a different thought, but like I'm, I'm feeling led to say, don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Like just put your stuff out there, be real. People will pick up on that. That's the only way you're going to heal is if you just dump it all out on the table. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Oh, I love that. And honestly, it's such a great nugget of wisdom because how are you ever going to heal if you're not real with the root cause of what's causing all of this, right? So Amanda, how can my audience find you? Well, I do have a website. It's currently under construction, but you can find me at amandageroux.com. G-I-R-O-U-X. Yes, I'm French. No, I don't speak French. I'm also on Instagram at authenticallyamandag. And I actually do have a podcast as well, um, Authentic Connection on iTunes and Podbean. Look her up, Authentic Connection. And all of her links will be in the show notes. Thank you again for listening to Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser. If you love this episode, make sure to share it with your friends. You can find me on the internet at fearlessfemale.com, on Facebook, The Fearless Female Movement, on Instagram at Fearless Female Podcast, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And ladies, remember, we have the power to rise and face everything. Until next week. 
Goodbye.